Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The other day, I was listening to some parents of teenagers lament about their teenager social lives or lack thereof. When I was a kid, we took our bikes to the park or played in so-and-so's large yard. Now all my kid does is play video games. None of them leave the house. They just play online together. All the other parents agreed, but then one brought up that there is no place that kids these days can go without spending money or being driven away for loitering. And they were kind of right. Third space, as it is called, is a communal place away from home. First place, or work and school, which is the second place, where people can just be. When you think about some of your favorite places you've ever visited, there's a good chance they have beautiful third spaces. Places to walk around, sit on park benches, people watch, without having to buy something or impede vehicular traffic. And as I've gotten older, I've seen these places disappear. These days, I'm scoping out parks for our future adventures with Finn. And while there's a recent push to clean up some of them, the last couple of years they've gone unmown and unloved. Many of them are hard to walk or take public transportation to. Even the school playgrounds I used to play on after school are now locked up tight behind fences after the school day ends. As I got older, I remember hanging out with my friends at the mall where we would spend our babysitting money or at the movies, which is now so expensive I won't even go as an adult. Both of those require money and transportation. And as our world has become more transactional, places where one can go to just be have gotten fewer and fewer. And we have started treating everyone and everything in our life as transactional. We have become consumers to the max in every aspect of our lives. Last week, we heard Peter declare Jesus as Messiah. And as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew this week, Jesus finally reveals what kind of Messiah he is going to be. Jesus will not be the kingly Messiah or the warrior Messiah, one bathed in glory and light and riches. Instead, Jesus will be the suffering servant, the Messiah who is tortured, killed, and will then be risen. Now this is shocking to the disciples who expected a warrior, a political Messiah, a king. And Peter, sweet, naive Peter, Peter who just declared Jesus to be the Messiah, rebukes Jesus for even speaking the word. But Jesus sees the big picture. Jesus knows this is God's plan, and he has accepted it. Jesus knows he must die to do the work that needs to be done. And then, Jesus continues by telling us how we become true disciples. If anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In our churches these days, we have way too many consumers and not enough true disciples. Our relationship to the church, to one another, and maybe even to God, has become transactional. 
Time and time again, I hear from people that church really didn't do anything for me, or I can get friends elsewhere, or what has God really done for me lately? But Jesus today is telling us the difference between consumers and disciples. Consumers think about themselves, what they want, and how to get it. Disciples deny themselves. And he's not talking about depriving ourselves of chocolate for Lent. Jesus is not saying to deny ourselves of something. He is telling us to deny ourselves full stop. To deny our wants and needs, our worldly identity, our ambitions, everything the world teaches us we should be. This is what we mean when we discuss self-denial as Christians. When Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me, we can't gloss over which path he is calling us to. His path leads to resurrection. But the only way to get there is through the cross, through death. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. For Bonhoeffer, his call ended in death literally. But for the majority of us, death to self looks somewhat different. Those of us who have been called to be husbands or wives have learned that marriage requires us to put another's needs before our own. Our desires, our affections, our wants and needs have to die to live for someone else before ourselves. Those who have answered the call to be parents know this selflessness on a completely different level. These folks put the needs, cares, and wants of this other fragile life before their own. Just ask any mom if she's had the opportunity to take a shower today. As Christians, it goes even a step further. It means dying to a life where it's all about us, and instead putting the community, God's sheep, first. It means dying to a life of sin and flesh and doing what feels good in the moment. It means a life of sacrifice, sacrifice of all you are and all you have to fully follow the will of God. And as hard as it sounds, it is absolutely freeing to die to yourself. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them? to gain the whole world and forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Your new life will cost you your old one. And in Paul's letter to the Romans today, we hear what that new life looks like. Because it turns out Christians act differently. This is not to earn God's love or our salvation. God's love and grace are gifts freely given. But these behaviors are in response to the grace of God shown to us. They are a reflection of the God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. They are our way of showing people a glimpse of God at work in this world. And they can only happen if we die to ourselves. Real Christians try to act like Jesus. Jesus reached out to each person one at a time. He fed the hungry. He helped the poor. He gave hope to the downtrodden. 
Jesus healed the ear of the man who was coming to arrest him. Jesus did not curse the chief priests or the Romans. Jesus answered their questions with integrity and then willingly gave himself up as a sacrifice for the whole world. Jesus was loving. He was compassionate. He was empathetic. Today it seems so challenging to do many of these behaviors that Paul lists for us today. As a country, we are more divided than ever. As a church, we are more divided than ever. We fear our fellow man. We are angry at the world. We strive for our own idea of justice. We crave vengeance. And frankly, most of us don't feel like being that charitable or that merciful right now. In the best of times, we can struggle with blessing those who persecute us. In the best of times, we can struggle with being patient in suffering. In the best of times, we can struggle with not repaying evil with evil. And these are certainly not the best of times. But being a Christian is to wake up each day and to willingly take the cross of discipleship across our backs. It is to try to do our best to live into how Christians should act, even when it's a struggle. It is to act with love, even when we don't feel like it. To empathize with those who are different than us. To have compassion for those who are lonely, or hungry, or poor, or imprisoned, or sick, or suffering, or otherwise on the margins of society. In times when compassion, empathy, kindness, charity, and mercy appear to be in such short supply, it is even more important that we strive to act as Christians, that we lead by example, and that we show people who God truly is. These are also the behaviors that will draw others to come to know Christ. As many stories as I have heard about the actions of so-called Christians driving folks away from the church, I have heard more stories of people who came to God through the actions of true disciples of Jesus Christ. I have heard stories of radical hospitality, of long-term charitable works, of people living out their faith on a daily basis, normally in quiet ways. It is rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, associating with the lowly, and not claiming to be wiser than you are. These actions can seem so insignificant in a world that expects grand gestures. But these small actions, this daily life of trying to do our best to represent the God we know, these behaviors are what will convert people and bring about the kingdom. These behaviors are the true work of God in this world. It's more than talking the talk. The devil can quote scripture. These actions are walking the walk, the same walk our Lord Jesus Christ walked before us. We can stay stuck in the life of consumerism. We can stay in the rat race, climbing the ladder, gain more stuff or more experiences. We can try to take up the most room, soak up the most resources, and continue consuming until our mortal bodies finally give out. Or you can break free. You can deny those animal urges that tell you that he who dies with the most stuff wins. You can swim against the current of our culture 
that tells you that money and power and status will make you happy because you know it won't. Suddenly the world, the flesh, and the devil will have no hold over your soul. You can be reborn anew. Jesus has told us how to break free from the bondage of our mortal world. Deny yourselves, pick up your cross, and follow him. Die to yourself, because only then can you be risen alongside Christ. You can have new life, but it will cost you your old one. Amen.